It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I am Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including the Beer Bible. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Working on your cadence, uh, are you? What was that guy? What was that radio guy that used to do? Paul? I'm Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. That's it. I'm Paul Harvey. Yeah, I was just trying. You know, you got to mix things up. Okay, now we're now we're going to immediately throw this thing in the ditch by getting way off track. But are you a Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan? Uh, I'm not. I mean, I know of the show, and I probably would be if I bothered to watch it, but no. Uh, while I was in Central Europe, I was watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> uh, on the plane and, and whatnot. And Andre Brower, the famous Wire Yes, uh, I know him. Uh, actor. Yep. Has a very stentorian voice, and he worked with cadences in the most beautiful way. He would he would often lead up to a uh, a last word in a sentence, and just he has a very deep bass voice, and just <laughs> drop that word in a, just a gorgeous way. It was some of the best comedy ever. So I, I like. I, I so what you're just saying keep, is keep I'm working. With yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, yeah. I'm like Andre Brower. I'll take it. <laughs> well, I understand. Not, yeah, that's a good compliment. Thank you. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, how are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? You're looking a little gimpy there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you notice that my arm's not really uh, functioning. You can't really lift it up. <laughs> I can't lift it up. Uh, yes, I had a little uh, misadventure. Uh, I'm an old man trying to do young man things. Uh, I might have mentioned in previous podcasts that I park my car at work at Oregon State at the football stadium where the big parking lot is. And where it's cheap. Let's, uh-huh. be honest. Let's be honest. Sure. It's where it's cheap. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm almost a mile away from my office. And so I have my little uh, one wheel thing, my little electric like skateboardy thing. It's not exactly an electric skateboard because it's got one wheel, as the name might suggest, right. in the middle of the board. And you sort of straddle it and you go. So uh, Yeah. One, one time we met at Living House. Uh, I think, oh, yeah. I think I, a, was that for a podcast? Maybe. And you rode that damn thing I all over the it was for a podcast, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. saw and I saw you come screaming in on that. And I was really shocked. It's a very, it's definitely a young person's thing. That that thing is so dangerous and it should not be legal. <laughs> First, it's super awesome because it would take me like twenty five minutes to walk to my office, but it only takes me less than five to, to one wheel there. Uh, two, it's uh, it's fun, and three, you're right. It wasn't bought for me. It was bought for my teenage sons uh-huh. who, like, for about two weeks, thought it was cool, and then. That was it. They were done. Yeah. So then it became my thing. And then I discovered that, hey, I could really save a lot of time. I kind of like the idea of walking because I'm about to jump in a car and drive for an hour and 15 minutes home. Um, uh, That seemed like a good idea. But but the time savings... ended up winning out but my, but my problem my problem yesterday was i was uh, i got to the to the entrance to the uh i was exiting but i got to the entrance to the parking lot and i saw cars come in i was like oh i'll shoot across the, the street before they come and uh, what what 55 year old men should always say to their mind is i will shoot across yes. that yes the story lessons always always been, goes well <laughs> mistakes were made and lessons have been learned <laughs> and my mistake was to just uh kick too hard forward because it's just a balancing it's got a gyroscope it's like a, a segue that way uh and i kick too hard forward and if you do that the front end will just pop right down to the street and basically eject you forward <laughs> i was ejected forward uh, the one good thing about the one wheel is you you, you, you ride it like a skateboard. You're, this is far too amusing for you. Uh, you ride it like a skateboard, so you're sideways, which is a blessing. So I landed on hard on my shoulder, 
but not on my face. <laughs> which, I guess which small, is good. And I wear a helmet, and my helmet did hit the ground. Although I don't think it actually my head would have because it's a big wide helmet. Um, but I took the full force on onto concrete on my shoulder, and I used it happened so fast I couldn't brace at all, which might also be a better thing. I didn't mess up my wrist or something, but, right. <laughs> but my my shoulder hurts. I think structurally it's fine. I think it's just a really deep soft <laughs> tissue bruise. But yeah, my arm's kind of worthless right now. Uh, it, it does create fun fact. quite an image. I would love to have seen that. Boy, would I have given a lot of money to watch you inject yourself. <laughs> okay, so here was the good news about that. Is this was early in the morning. I go really early uh, to Corvallis because I commute far and it's, it's nice to miss traffic and everything. And so uh, almost nobody saw this happen. That is really fortunate. At least I hope now. They built a new uh, student health center right there. It was right where the new student health center is, but there's no real windows that looking at me. So I think I got away pretty, pretty good in terms of social humiliation. And 20-year-old college kids don't care anyway. They would be like, oh, like, there's a professor. He just face-planted. Who cares? Oh, they care a lot. They probably put it on TikTok and well, that on, is on repeat on some cool music. That is true. Uh, one guy did see me and it's like, hey, dude, you all right? And I'm like, oh. And of course I lied. <laughs> oh, I'm fine. No worries. <laughs> And then as I was writing to the office, I was like, you know, my arm really hurts. And it doesn't really seem to be working right now. <laughs> uh, you've got to, you're going to so, break a hip. That's all I'm saying. You're going to break a hip. So the good news is that my lesson was learned and I'm still, I, nothing's been broken, I don't think. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing all right. I'll recover in a few days. And so if that was what it took to sort of calm down, not be overconfident and start acting my age, then I'm still going to ride it, but just be a little more. A little less uh, great brave. Yeah, what is the phrase? I'm gonna shoot across in front of those cars. Shoot across in front of those cars. That may have been the error. <laughs> it was really there. dumb. Yeah, that was the moment where uh, the, that I can reflect back on. Okay. <laughs> this is where it all went wrong because I was acting like a 20 year old, and I'm a 55 year old man like a 20 year old. Yeah, so <laughs> I uh, I'm humbled, but I'm in one piece, and you know, I'm here to pod. This is this is. The nature of my character it's that, a, I, that, I, that I've overcome and I'm here potting despite my physical ailments. It, 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 <laughs> it, it speaks well to your youthful uh, abandon, your youthful frame of mind that you don't look at the concrete and think my, my body will shatter <laughs> if I uh, touch so that. So here's a fun fact. This is, this is the good news. I actually ride a skateboard goofy, I think is the term of art. Oh, amongst okay. the youngsters. I have never ridden a skateboard, so I don't know what that means. But you're right. Which, Goofy does sound right. Which means you stand on it with your right foot and you push with your left. And what this means in terms of the one wheel is that the right foot is front and the left foot is back. So when I launched off my one wheel, I landed on my right shoulder, which was good news because I'm left-handed. and so Only I could, when you're right, though. I could... Well, yes, but this is the critical part because I was heading to go teach. Yes. And so I could still write on the board because uh, uh, literally if I had to do it with my right, my arm doesn't <laughs> extend past my waist. <laughs> it like, won't go up, <laughs> which seems like something that an arm should probably do when it's in normal functioning. Yeah, give it a few days. And if that persists, maybe go see a doctor. I really think it's soft tissue. I don't think it's um, – uh, I think I got, I got lucky. Very good. So I think I'll be okay. But uh, needless to say, here I am, ready to go. 
Hopped you, up on ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah, you, you seem relatively normal. I wouldn't be laughing at your misfortune. I just want everyone to know that he, he actually looks pretty healthy. So yeah, it yeah. seemed comically uh, like a comic it was, misfortune. It was, so. It's entirely comic now that there's no <laughs> there's no major damage. So I am not a sadist. <laughs> so that happened. Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, if you saw the news that um, interestingly, uh, gigantic brewery brewing is going in cans. I did see that, and it was relevant to my recent travels in Europe, where they have not shifted to cans yet, uh, which was kind of shocking. In fact, we'll be drinking a beer from a bottle that you schlepped back from. That's right. I had I brought three beers back, and they were all bottles. And in fact, I was given more than three beers, and I drank many of them in my <laughs> hotel room. They were all bottles. Uh, but in the United States, it's just, it's just vanishingly rare for a brewery not to serve their beer in cans. Maybe they have bottles. But they also have cans. You're I more mean, frequently, you're more frequently widely traveled. Is that a thing? Can I say that phrase? Anyway, it's not just an Oregon thing. All, oh, over, no, the, all over the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's definitely a thing in Maine. Those yeah. are the two places I can speak to. I think Boston. So those three places I think I can speak to relatively uh, confidently. Yeah. Uh, well, what's particularly interesting about Gigantic is they were really hoping yeah. to to. And why were they sticking on? Go ahead. To pioneer this returnable 500 milliliter bottle. Right, which they, the state of Oregon has put together. Yeah. So they really wanted to see if they could get this whole returnable bottle thing. You get a whole bunch of bottles. You use them. You rinse them out. You return them back. They get reused. And it's so the European on so on. system. It's the European system. So in Germany. People buy their bottles in these big plastic crates, and they keep them, and they put the bottles back, and they bring the crate back and get a new crate, and so on. But Americans just don't want their beers in bottles. No, sorry. No, so sorry. Gigantic and is following. Can, cans do have a lot of benefits. They do. The only I'll tell drawback. You, one, of them, one of them is hauling them all the way across. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, one of the big ones <laughs> is you can stick them, in your, stick them in your suitcase, <laughs> and there's less chance that they're going to be broken and explode uh, en route. That's right. And also, they're quite a bit lighter. Which, and they're quite a bit lighter. Which, and com- more pack, compact. You know, it isn't such a big deal when you're talking about a, 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 a back or a. a Suitcase, but when you're talking about uh, a trucker load, yeah. it's I don't know how many pounds. It's a lot of pounds. But pounds. I'll tell you something. I really dislike drinking from cans, straight from cans. I don't mind in a bottle, but in a can, I really dislike. I don't know why. Just I, I think it's I gross. I, I, I think but, we've established that. Yeah. I, I thought you hated drinking from bottles too. I thought you well, I prefer to discant to decant anytime I can. But sometimes you know you're allowed a barbecue and there don't there's no cups, right? They just give you a big cooler full of beers. And uh, in that case, I'm looking for a bottle. Huh. All right. I, I couldn't care less. Either way, I don't care. Yeah. But you're a Philistine. So. I am a Philistine. W- once you appreciate the finer things in life, you might start. I'm a people. I'm a man of the people. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay. Uh, with that, <laughs> with that <laughs> uh, the ice is melted here. Uh, spring is coming, maybe. Maybe no. not. No. My, uh, it's I'm, February. Uh, by the time this comes out, I, I'm headed off to... Uh, jolly old England in, in, for spring break uh, in March. Very good. So uh, my mother says that there they've had a heat wave and now like the crocuses are popping up. And she, but she's, the crocuses she, always pop she's up. She's kind of now. freaked out. Uh, but no, nevertheless, um, I'll go and I'll do my, my solemn duty, which is to frequent pubs and drink a lot of beer. You said that last week and I didn't believe you then and I kind of don't believe you now. But the more you say it, the more you'll actually be holden. And maybe you know, maybe we'll get on the Insta and, and start mocking. Sadly, sadly, my mother lives there. There's some nice pubs near-ish my mom, but not not like right around the corner. Bermondsey, you got to get to Bermondsey. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this. I will. I'll make it. A How point close now. are you to the tube? 
not too far, but she's also slightly inconveniently for London. I mean, she's in far southwest London. She's in Richmond, but not the part that's right where the tube in the train station is, unfortunately. So it's a bit, it's a little bit of a walk. I will, however, do my duty and and find. All right. Well, now now you've kind of built it up in such a way that I'm I'm gonna have to hold you to it. Well, in the and, last and the, pod, and the, the listeners should also hold you up to yeah, it. Yeah. In the last pod, I had this theory that that people were sort of trending back towards traditional English dialects. I know. You really, so, you really laid down a big kielbasa there. Exactly. So I really got to go do the research. You do. Got to do know. the research. I know. You've just built all of this up on yourself. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe a pod will be coming. But anyway, my, my point was sort of that uh, I'm headed in that same direction that you just came back from. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of which, at this year's Central European Brewers Festival, which, by the way, I heard was awesome and the keynote speaker was Great. Uh, Polish brewer Marek Kaminski, is that right? Yeah. Marek Kaminski gave a presentation on the briefly extinct style, oh God, of Grozitskia. Pretty good. All right. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff provided me a, a, a phonetic pronunciation here. Uh, that has been making a comeback in his homeland. Jeff and Marek later sat down, sat down to discuss this fascinating style, its history, and how it's doing today. And we'll have that conversation today for you. But first, we have to tell you about the news. In the first news item, an important passing happened during our podcast hiatus. Carlsberg, the brewing Danish brewing giant, mm-hmm announced that it would be retiring the four remaining union sets at Marston's Brewery in Burton-on-Trent. The Burton Union System was a form of 19th century automation in which fermenting worked. Oh, sorry. Proceeded. Got that one. <laughs> Look did. at me. I'm, I'm a pro. <laughs> Jeff wrote worth. <laughs> that was probably an autocorrect. It might have been <laughs> Fermenting wort proceeded through a linked network of oak casks, it was an industrial age innovation that allowed big breweries like those in Burton to produce beer faster and cleaner. It is decidedly a 19th century technology, however, and other breweries retired their union sets long ago. This is sort of inevitable, but mm-hmm. also sad and fascinating. Uh, so if you go to Burton-on-Trent, uh, right at the Marston's Brewery, in fact, right in front of the Marston's Brewery, am I remembering this correctly? There's a little like demonstration uh, outdoors, there's a little demonstration, Burton Union. Yes, that is at the Brewery Museum, Museum, which closed in 2022. Oh, I, learned. I know. No. Yes. Well, that's even bigger news. It is. It's shocking. I couldn't believe it when I was because I, I had a picture from that of that Burton set, yeah. and I was like, "What is the name of that?" And, and what I, happened to the Worthington's White Shield? I don't know. It's certainly not being brewed there because there is there is gone. Okay, we're going to suddenly get into kind of a semi-deep dive here. Okay, yeah. so in Burton-on-Trent, which uh, where uh, beer was brewed with water so foul that <laughs> they, they... Or fair, uh, if you're a nice Burtonian. Well, you had the Burton Snatch, which is a, a distinct sulfur, rotten egg note in the beer and became kind of famous and almost cherished, kind of in the way that Marmite or Vegemite, if you're Australian, is cherished, uh, bizarrely so. Or some stinky cheeses and other things. There's, you know, the human palate is an adventure. <laughs> Nevertheless, so there's a there's a museum there. It's a good museum. I would have recommended you go see it, but apparently you can't. That's right. Outdoors, they had a little thing, a little demonstration, old Burton Union system set up, which is kind of fascinating. It's a set of uh, barrels 
uh, resting sideways in a row in a set of tubes that go from one to the other with little blow-off. That go up into a trough, apparently. Yeah, into a trough where the blow-off stuff, and this is probably where they harvest the Marmite. (laughs) Right. Uh, But Marston's big production brewery right there had this big glass wall. You could see the Burton Union system in an industrial scale operating in real time. Totally. And I think it was stainless steel kegs, right, at that no. Was it really oat cakes? They were oat cakes. Wow, wow. Yeah, there's a photo on the blog that I took when we were at that visit that wow. you remember as distinctly oh, as yeah. I do. Okay. Yeah, I'll, was, I'll take a look. I'll it was jog quite, my memory. It was quite something. It it was, that whole seeing that whole thing was quite something. Yeah, and just the fact that they were still using this 19th century <laughs> technology, I thought was astounding because, you know, this is business is business. So, like, it's cool that you can move a glass wall and people look at it and say, ooh, but it's probably not driving a lot of sales. no. No, so. we, I don't know if you remember. It was a far less memorable. Do you remember having Marston's Pedigree, which is the beer they make on the, the Burton system? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You have no memory because it was a, just a completely generic yeah, so Cascale. It, yeah, it had nothing. No, there was no um, benefit from being brewed that way. Nope. Yeah. But it's still, it's a passing. And especially now that you know that the brewing museum is gone. Shocking. Like what's left of Burton on Trent? <laughs> kind of <laughs> nothing because quite honestly the nicest town in England. Maybe it's rallied since we were there last. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's having a renaissance away from old industrial Just like theater. Detroit. I hear Detroit's a garden city now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All uh, right. Okay, we better move on. <laughs> uh, up until January 16, this is a little bit of, this is going to be a kind of an abstruse topic, but I'm, I'm going in. Well, that's, I was your, that's, your, that's your signature, man. Yeah, go, go. It's true. Up until January 16, breweries in New Jersey, we're going to the Garden State, were subjected to an almost comical level of restrictions on how they could sell their beer at their own tap rooms. All of this was in service to the incredibly powerful Bar Owners Trade Association, which limited the number of liquor licenses in the state. They saw opening a brewery as a way to sneak around their protectionism and used a, uh, the New Jersey legislature to pass laws that made it mandatory for patrons at brewery tap rooms to take a tour before they were served. <laughs> They couldn't serve food or even coffee. They couldn't have live music, no happy hours, no TV or music, and only a limited number of events a year. It was just crazy, crazy, crazy. However, on January 16th, the governor signed legislation that would relax the worst of these restrictions. But even the new rules are laughable to breweries across the border in New York and Pennsylvania. And in fact, they've only just softened them. It's still just this big, like, it's it's such a New Jersey story. That is completely nuts. That is is so nuts. Hey, fun fact. The only state in the United States that doesn't allow you to pump your gas? New Jersey. New Jersey. I know. That was our... Ah, we're free, baby. It was our brothers. We're free, baby. We're sort of free, but when I was in Tillamook during the ice storm, yeah. I got out of the car to pump gas into my tank, and there was a dude there. Yeah, and... because they're still required to have half their pumps uh, with a attendant. I got to tell you, the new system is the, the thing where... But you can it, always wave them off. They don't mind. He minded. Did it was, really? It was a, yes. It was a big awkward scene. <laughs> he brushed me back and I, uh, you know, I got out of there. Yeah, uh, which is also dumb. I mean, the, the real legislation should have just been you can get pumping on request. Right. And then otherwise the default is you just pump your own gas. But now, you know, you go to these places and there's half the pumps say self-serve and those are the only ones being used. When you're and then boy- there's some dude just sitting there like smoking. <laughs> yes, smoking by the <laughs> gas pumps. <laughs> when your boys have 
children of their own, you will regale them of the great uh, of the great. I will tell you about the days you weren't allowed to pump your own gas. Yes, you can go to New Jersey and find out. This has been your bet noir for. Or you can go to New Jersey and go to a tap room where you're not allowed to watch TV. <laughs> you can sit there grimly and drink your one beer after you have a tour. <laughs> you have to have a tour and you can drink a beer. That's just crazy. It's very crazy. That's just nuts. Yeah. It's, uh, boy. I covered this when it was all happening in a while back. and then he It's what gives government there. a bad name, and that's annoying. Well, and it's one of these states where... Uh, it's basically legalized corruption. Um, you do you know what regulatory capture is, my friend? Yeah. So this is a situation <laughs> in which the bar owners have have captured the regulators. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, and and that's why breweries were screwed. But anyway, things are getting a little better in New Jersey. So there you go. That's good. Uh, small, small, small steps. You will not have, be able to have your park roll or Taylor Ham at a brewery anytime soon, but. Uh, you can have a beer there, which is nice. And maybe one day, New Jerseyites. New Jerseyites? Sure. sure. New, I think it's New Jerseyans. New Jerseyans. You will be able to pump your own gas, and it will be a glorious day. I can <laughs> I attest. Don't think any, I can attest. I don't think anybody cares that much about that one. But man, oh. this brewery situation is bad. <laughs> <laughs> the gas fine thing. Don't mess with the beer. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. So um, why don't we turn to your discussion with Merrick Kaminsky? Yes. Uh, and why don't you give us an intro? What, what are we about to hear? So he gave a a, uh, a talk at the conference on Grodziskia, and it's G-R-O-D-Z-I-S-K-I-E. And it was really... Grodziskia. It was really fun to listen to him pronounce it because that D-Z becomes a J. And that I-E is that multiple vowel thing at Grodzi- the end. Grodzitskia. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's not, okay. we look at it and an IE, it's like Melanie. It means, you know, you end with a, no, it's a, it does this whole other thing. Anyway, <laughs> that's not very relevant, but for those of us who have looked at this word. If you want to be a beer snob, years, you got to be the one person who knows how to pronounce that's it. True. That's, that's that is key. true. That's key to being a beer snob. If you want, if you want to be able if to you say, want, if you want well, everyone to leave actually, your table at the pub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These are the things you really need to glom onto. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Mark gave this this cool presentation about uh, the style and where you know where it where it where it came from, how it was made, okay. uh, how it died, and how it was revived, and then talked a little bit about how healthy it is. And I thought it was super cool. And this this information is kind of out there, so people may have heard of that if you're a super nerd. But I also, but if not, we're here to correct that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> For you aspiring super nerds who missed <laughs> the story, <laughs> boom, we're on it. Uh, it was It's a very cool story. Um, nice. You know, one of those his, historical kind of fun things that happens uh, in, in beer. And I thought it was, he's a very uh, charismatic guy. He has his own brewery called Kingpin, and he is also the head of the uh, Polish Craft Brewers Association. Um, so he's, he's quite acting. He was there acting as the head judge for the, the competition. So he's a... A very accomplished guy, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. He is, I think, as good on tape as he was in person. Great. Well, let's take a listen. All right. Uh, I'm at the Central European Brewers Conference, just the end of it, in Budapest, Hungary. And I'm sitting here with Mark Kaminski, who made a presentation uh, that I really captured my attention uh, about uh, Grodziszka. 
pretty good. All right. We're gonna <laughs> you get a better pronunciation in a minute. Uh, Mark has many titles, so I'm gonna have him tell us a little bit about who he is uh, before we get into the, the the cool beer he talked about here. Well, yeah. Uh, first of all, I I'm a brewer and I consider my, myself a brewer first of all, and uh, I have my own brand, Kingpin, running for the last ten years in Poland. Uh, but apart from that, um, uh, for the last six years, I have been running Polish Craft Brewers Association, which is an organization aimed to promote uh, uh, Polish craft beer, both in Poland and abroad, and also represent uh, smallest and independent craft breweries in Poland. Uh, well, basically modern craft brewing. Uh, this is how, how the landscape looks in Poland at the moment. Um, I'm also judging beer quite a lot, actually. Uh, I do I do many competitions uh, in many parts of the world, so I travel quite a lot. Um, yeah, and here in Budapest, um, uh, I've also been been leading uh, a small competition here, but uh, probably my my main role here was uh, presenting and preaching about Grodziska, as I say, yes. as I like to say. Grodziska. <laughs> Grodziska. All yeah. right. <laughs> uh, that's to Americans, Grodziski, as we mispronounce it. Uh, all the oh, time. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we, I think everyone pretty gets what beer it is. <laughs> right, right. So will you uh, tell us a little bit about the, we'll, we'll start out with the history of that beer and then um, kind of what happened to it. But talk about that, you know, where that beer style started and what it, what it looked like back then. Yeah. Yeah, as you know, you've been to the presentation. I, I, I can talk quite a lot about it. I, <laughs> I try to be brief, but uh, uh, it is quite an old beer style. And um, back in Poland, we we don't like the the term historical beer style because, uh, like historical, that implies that it's an, an extinct uh, style, like from the Middle Ages or something. It's an old, it's an old uh, beer style. Actually, it started in 14th or 15th century. Uh, the word of mouth has it that it started in the beginning of the 14th century, the brewing of, of Grodziske in Grodzisk, mm -hmm. because the name Grodziske uh, actually is derived from the name of the town Grodzisk, and Grodziske actually means of Grodzisk, so uh, in Polish. And the first written evidence that we have that is actually documented is the year 1426, where there's an evidence about the malting houses in Grodzisk. Mm. So uh, probably they were malting grain for a reason. And, and then 1601 is, uh, is the first actually paper that we still have. It's the, the, the Brewers and Maltsters uh, Guild statute uh, from Grodzisk, which is a document that regulated actually the quality of the beer, the production rules. So it, it indicates that the history of the beer must have started quite before that date. If, if 1601 were already some regulations about the quality. Right, right. right. It had to exist before they regulated. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, that's probably the most ancient history of it. And then uh, the 18th and 19th century were probably the centuries where the style was, uh, was very much gaining momentum and it was becoming more and more popular. In the 18th century, it's been very popular in the western part of Poland. It's been popular, it's been exported to Brandenburg, Silesia, uh, Hanseatic cities, uh, so the closest markets actually to, to, to the region where it's produced, where it comes from. 
then also in the in, in the 19th century, especially at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, it's been exported, and, and this is this is actually proven history to 37 countries, wow. including. Uh, including Philippines, uh, African countries, China, Australia, so pretty exotic markets, let's say. And uh, I actually haven't said that uh, during the, the presentation, but uh, also it was a, uh, it was a, well, that's a historic fact. It was beloved beer of uh, Erwin Rommel. So he had it during, during the Second World War, he had it transported uh, actually for Africa Corps soldiers to Africa mm. from Poland, from Grodzisk. Mm. Uh, no judging, just history fact. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, it would probably be a refreshing beer in the desert, I have to say. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah probably the the period, uh, and uh, I, I I would just like to make uh, a small remark on Polish history mm. from the end of the 18th century to the beginning of the 20th century. 20th century, for more than 120 years, Poland was not on the map of Europe. It was parted between three neighboring empires. And the western part of Poland, the one where Grodzisk is located, was uh, ruled by Prussia and then Germany mm -hmm. for more than 120 years. And that's why during that period, uh, the city of Grodzisk was called Gretz, mm -hmm. and the name of the beer was Gretzer, which, uh, which means exactly the same, like Grodzisk Grodziskie, Grec, Grecer, it's just the same, the same situation, but just two different languages. Um, in 1918, Poland regained its uh, independence after the First World War, and the period between two wars, two world wars, was probably the most successful for Grodziskie. Uh -huh. It was like uh, 100,000 uh, hectoliters brewed, and it's worth noticing that Grodzisk is quite a small town. It's uh, Back then, it was probably like four or five thousand inhabitants, uh, and at, at its wow. peak, at its <laughs> peak, it had more than fifty breweries, but small ones, of course. Then, uh -huh. then in the in the eighteen seventies, there was ten breweries, and it stayed like that uh, at least until the first world war, first world war. Then there were six between the wars, uh, and uh, the population of Grodzisk now is fourteen, fifteen. Thousand, thousand people. It was always, always a small town, yeah. but with a very, very distinct uh, brewing uh, history and, and heritage. It's interesting. That happens in a lot of places. You find little towns that are associated with brewing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, after the Second World War, uh, it was uh, nationalized, so it became state-owned, and that's basically when the decline of, of the style started. And to make the story short, uh, 1993 was actually the year when the last bottle left the brewery, and a year a year later, 1994, the last brewery in Grodzisk closed. After uh, the communist period, did did somebody? It was privatized. Somebody bought it, and it only had it for a few years before it closed. Is that what happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, the, uh, who bought it were, was one of the big corporations, I see. and they 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 closed it uh -huh. because you know, just they consolidated the market, and they decided that the small brewery in Grodzisk is not what they need. So this is a beer. Uh, it's a it's a wheat beer. Uh, now it's a low alcohol wheat beer. You talked about a period of hundreds of years. Was it always wheat beer? No, no, no. Actually, 
Yes, we know it now, and, and at least for the last century, from, from the turn of 19th and 20th century, we know it as a 100% oak-smoked wheat beer. Mm -hmm. But it was not always like that. It's, um, it's, it's always been light beer, uh, but uh, actually the malt bill varied over time. It's been, most of the time it's always, it's, it's been wheat with some addition of barley, there also been a moment in time when it was all barley, but, but for a short period. But we consider 100% uh, oak smoked wheat malt the most classic. Mm -hmm. and, and it's been there from, like, from the end of 19th century. Sometimes when you look back in history, you see that these beer styles had, like, brewers would make them differently, and maybe somebody would make a 3%, and somebody else would make a 5%. Was, were there variations? You said there's all these breweries in this town. Were there variations on the style as it was being made? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, to be honest, uh, I don't think so. Uh -huh. Because it has a, like, when you research, when you, when you look for, for in, in history, it, it's been always a, a light beer. Yeah. Uh, and, well, we should, we should uh, probably elaborate a little bit on that. It's, it's a 100% it's a oak-smoked wheat beer. Uh, very light, as you said, so let's say around 3% ABV. Um, beer is also uh, very highly carbonated. Uh, it appears clear, should appear clear, mm -hmm. at, le at least. And of course, it's very, uh, it's not only smoked, but also hoppy at the same time. Of course, to, let's say, medium-low, medium levels, because it's a, all in all, it's quite a delicate and a nuanced beer. But, uh, but, but the hop character should also be there. So yeah. it's not only like smoked, and, and the, the, the smoke character is, is uh, well, medium-low to medium-maximum. It shouldn't dominate um, the profile. And the hop character, both, both in terms of aroma and flavor and, and clean hop bitterness, should also be there. So it's a, it, when, when it's well executed, it's a, it's a perfectly balanced, uh, very refreshing, highly carbonated beer. Yeah, you know, so uh, in 2019, I, I spent uh, several days in Krakow, and I, that's the first time I had a bottle of the beer. We're going to maybe talk about this, the revival, but um, it's been revived, and I've had it in America, and the thing that, that, I, that struck me, a few things struck me about this bottle. Uh, one, it was extreme. The effervescence is something that Americans don't get right. It's, uh, I mean, it is really, really carbonated it uh, is it's you said it, they call it the champagne of poland yeah the champagne of poland was uh was quite traditional and then they still call it and you know and traditionally it's it's really i said highly highly carbonated you said ffs and the, it's uh it's probably uh, 7.5 up to 9 grams per, per liter so that that's a lot and and the only way to achieve that is bottle conditioning and this is what classic grodziska uh, should be and this is what and this is like champagne too yeah 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 and of course there are some uh, because we will be talking about it you already said that the style has been revived and the, the, the brewer in Grodzisk now brewing the most classic example uh, in Grodzisk on site in one actually on uh, of the breweries uh, that, that, that were existing the longest 1990s um, actually I think they are the only one that to bottle condition Grodziska in a classic way. Yeah, as a note to anybody who is listening to this, I think if you're if you're not making it highly effervescent, you're you're missing some of the character because what what struck me was uh, 
it's not just the presentation of the beer, but it really affects the pre- you know the way the mouthfeel. Yes. Uh, it lifts the smoke and the hops up in a way that um, it makes them instead of heavy. I think many people think of rap beers. These are kind of low base beers with you know the, that smokiness feels like a heavy mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's very light, very light beer. Yeah, um, and you get that the prickly sensation in your mouth, and and even to to a point when it gets a little bit mineral also. So that's that's basically how it should be. Right, and the other thing I think people maybe don't appreciate is the the smoke quality is pretty light compared yes. to uh, what maybe people think of if they're comparing it to a Rauk beer or something like that. Will you talk about the smoking level? Yeah, yeah. The smoke level, well, medium low to medium, uh, that's the maximum. It shouldn't shouldn't be more, but what is also worth stressing is the quality of the smokiness. It's an oak smoked beer. So uh, we are looking for uh, bonfire-like uh, smoked cheese uh, character uh, we are not looking for this beechwood smoked um, uh, ham-like uh, aroma and flavors that you would normally associate with Bamberger uh, Rauch beers. Yeah. Uh, this is something completely different, and it, that doesn't go in Grajiska. And, and in my opinion, um, you already said that, but in my opinion, the oak smoke, uh, uh, oak smokiness, the profile is actually much lighter than the beechwood smoke. Yeah, yeah, it's a dry smokiness, so it's, uh, um, yeah, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not heavy that way. Yeah, the beer, the, the beer is very crisp and dry. Right, it finishes really dry. It's it's quite highly attenuated beer, so uh, crisp, dry, refreshing, and with the nuanced smokiness. I I don't know if you had that uh, impression too when you when you tasted the beer, but. The smokiness probably hits you the most with your first sniff or, or your first, uh, you know, when you first taste it. But after after a, like a minute or two, the impression you get is much, much lower because it's actually quite, quite nuanced. Yeah. So you adapt to it, you get used to it, and it's not a dominantly smoked beer. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that happens with the smokiness, which is there's a quality that's just very slightly tangy, mm-hmm. and that bridges over to the hops, which we need to talk about next, yeah. which are, uh, you know, they're Polish hops for uh, people who are uh, listening to this podcast. They they're very much a noble hop, so they're in that 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 classic uh, crisp noble category. But um, so in the flavor profile, I think that's an important note. You know, you don't want anything that's uh, has a <laughs> smacks anything of American. This is this is an old kind of delicate noble hopping. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about those hops. Yeah. Tr- well, traditionally, uh, low alpha local Polish hops were used, and uh, there's a, a Polish variety called Tomiski, which is uh, uh, which was also very local. Uh, the town of Nowy Tomisz, Tomisz, so. Tomiski comes from from the name of this town. It's like 20 kilometers from Grodzisk. So that was all very local. Um, they sourced their hops uh, like 20 kilometers from the place where the beer, the beer was brewed. And uh, as I said during the presentation, the, the history of the Tomiski hops is itself extremely sensational. You know, you could, you could write a story about it really because that was very successful hop variety in the second part of the 19th century, the first part of 20th century. Uh, it got a lot of awards at m- exhibitions throughout throughout Europe, even I think outside Europe. Uh, it, and 
to some point it threatened the markets in uh, in Bavaria, mm. in South Germany. Mm. Uh, so then the German hop growers they did everything they could to you know to 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 make the Tomiski hop variety disappear, and the, there were. As I said before, there were moments where they were like ruling this part of Poland, Prussia, then Germany. So, so that's one uh, actually the the area of, of um, hop growing region started to shrink, and uh, to the extent that this hop variety was actually extinct for a couple of decades. We couldn't couldn't have any any Tomiski hops for for decades, and and it, it was probably by many brewers it was forgotten. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, some genetic material was stored in one of the institutions in 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 Poland, and uh, and we have a a hop grower in Poland who is who is a freak actually, uh, not only <laughs> yeah, not only in terms of. Uh, of growing traditional Polish hops, but also resurrecting the old extinct uh, hop varieties. And uh, actually he started the project uh, many years ago. I think it took him six or seven years for the first crops. And I remember that the first year he had uh, any hop cones from the Tomiski variety that was, I think, around 30 kilo. Mm -hmm. So he just gave it away to home brewers <laughs> to test it, you know, and he collected, of course, the their uh, opinions about um, about the hub and he kept going he kept going and after two or three years uh, he could have enough uh, hops Tomiski hops to to be able to offer to to small independent craft brewers and now I think uh, two or three years ago uh, we have enough Tomiski hops variety to be able not only for the traditional Grodziska being brewed with Tomiski hops again, but also to offer to, to other brewers. That's really cool. I don't yeah. know if it's going to be available to home brewers in Oregon, but it's cool that it's actually been revived and uh, people can access that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the brewery, that the revival, uh, and the home brewers mm. who are kind of in the middle of that, mm -hmm. uh, keeping it all alive. That's a fascinating story. Yeah, we should start off with uh, 1994 when we finished with, uh, let's say, the first chapter when the last uh, brewery in Grodzisk closed. Uh, and it, it took us a couple of years. And, and uh, in Poland, we, we have a very vibrant and live homebrewing scene. A lot of people are homebrewing. We have a very successful homebrewers association. They do a lot of uh, competitions. They exchange knowledge a lot. Uh, they are well organized. And, and of course, these were, as, as you mentioned, these were home brewers, first of all, when, when Grodziska was not available uh, as a commercially brewed beer, they were brewing Grodziska at home, just, you know, they were keeping the spirit alive. Yeah. Uh, not to forget about the style, because there were a lot of people missing that beer. It's a beer that can have many variations, sure. you know. Yeah, and, and I, it's one of those things where if you haven't tasted it, it's hard to know what yeah, you're doing. So yeah. and it's a kind of an obscure style. Yeah, so. yeah. And you know the same happens with, I don't know, some, some newest American style that some of the European brewers try to pick up without too deep uh, knowledge about it. So Right, yeah. yeah that's so so I can understand it. But on the other hand, you know that uh, there are brewers in the United States like Live Oak from Austin that make a perfectly nice Grodziska. So. Excellent. Uh, I don't know if I'm 
can mention uh, if I can throw a brewer name here, but you Live can, Oak. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely uh, <laughs> their Grajiska is really spot on. Cool. That's <laughs> good. It's uh, pretty far from Oregon, but um, we have listeners all over America, so check yeah. that one out. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the revival, you have. You know, the, the thing about beer styles is, you know, peop, the brewer can be very interested in reviving a style, but that doesn't mean that it finds an audience and it can die a second time. Mm-hmm. But you think that, that this style is, is had a successful relaunch? Uh, yeah, I would say so. And we, we got some data for it. Uh, of course, uh, you know, being, being a brewer in Poland for the last 10 years, I could observe that the year to year we had, we had more and more interest in Grodziska. Uh, that translated into more and more examples of the style being brewed by Polish breweries. And uh, I, I've did some research, and this these numbers may not be like 100% accurate, but for the last, uh, let's say, from its revival in 2015 or even later, even earlier from the 2010 by the craft brewery, uh, I think we had more than 130 different Grodziska being brewed by 60-something breweries in mm-hmm. Poland. Uh, plus, we got uh, a lot of examples from other markets, like we had many in the United States, but also Canada, France, Germany. Uh, some of them must be... I, I, I've only could, could collect some, some you know, uh, average data. So some of them must be must have been variations, because I can, I can tell or because of the higher ABV. For right. instance, right. because classically Grodziska would be around three mm-hmm. percent, and and if you see five percent, that's like I don't know <laughs> Imperial Grodziska or whatever. So so that that's a different beer. Right. It might have uh, you know some Grodziska characteristics in terms of uh, of uh, smoke and hop character, but but basically it, it's a different beer. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you know we we have many people's uh, many people uh, following the trend, you know, and then we have pubs uh, now in Poland that uh, are devoted to the style. We have we have great people, you know, the people people like like me. There's a bunch of us. Like wherever we go, we preach about Grodziska. This is one thing, but uh, <laughs> also the guys at the brewery they try to do collabs abroad. They also they send the the beer to competitions. They just got. They just got gold last year in European beer style, one of the the most important competitions, I would say. Right. So and and also there is a bunch of guys at pubs in Poland, like pub managers, pub owners, who promote Krojiske on everyday basis, and it's a it's a big shout out to all those guys. But of course, it wouldn't be possible if people would not like, want, and. To drink Grodziska. So I, I also think that from the consumer side, it's more and more interest in Grodziska because it's a it's a perfect sessionable beer, you know, very refreshing, light. Uh, you can drink easily two, three, three uh, percent ABV beer, so that you're fine. And then it really fits nicely into current trends, at least the trends that we can observe in Poland or this part of Europe, like. People want more and more sessionable beers. Mm-hmm. They are looking for low ABV beers. Um, this is, uh, uh, you know, the beer that it's uh, it's classic, it's traditional. People also want to, you know, sometimes people are already fed up with those with those double, triple IPAs. They want to come <laughs> back to something classic. <laughs> I right. know it's probably different in the states, and oh. of course, you know, hazy IPA still. 
uh, still is probably the most popular uh, style in in the craft beer segment in Poland too. You can avoid cannot avoid that, but uh, um, but people want uh, more and more you know classic, well-made uh, beers. Plus, there is an additional fact that it pairs well with food also because. You can, you know, you can you can play around the smokiness and the hop character really nicely. So, yeah, I, th I think it, it, this is a great beer, and at the end, this is something different, you know. And everyone is looking for different now. Everyone wants to differentiate. Everyone has wants to have something different offer, and it's perfectly fine for any restaurant, pub, or cafe to have lagers, IPAs. And also Grajiska, you know, mm -hmm. if they want to stand out a little bit. Right. It's the native style. Yeah. And I think just to finish, one thing that I didn't understand, which now I, know, now I do understand having been here, is that I assumed because Poland is an old brewing country and has, you know, a style that goes back 500 years, that the craft beer scene would have been more robust and more ancient than it is or mm -hmm. you know older than it is but it's actually not it's it's relatively recent and you still have a lot of runway there which it seems like grudziska would be a part of of that as people come into different you know looking for different flavors will you tell us just a tiny bit about where craft beer is in poland yeah yeah uh, well I, I i would start with with the fact that uh, poland is quite a big uh, beer market in europe uh, we are number three in terms of production number three uh, in terms of consumption per capita, so it's it's quite a big. It's 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 almost 40 million country and a beer loving country consuming a lot of beer. Uh, but I think before the craft beer revolution started, like let's say 13, 14 years ago, uh, it was dominated, absolutely dominated by mass-produced uh, lagers, right. uh, bland similar you know and and there was a we often say that it was a desert you know a beer desert and um, and that's why and also because of the fact that uh, polish brewing traditions were to some extent destroyed during the second part of 20th century during the at least during the the, the communist regime um that the, the people really when the craft beer movement started and it started around 2010 2011 uh People really like welcomed the craft beer with all their hearts because they were craving, you know, for tasty beers, for new flavors. And what's also important, people in Poland are very open to new stuff. It's it's you know they are open to new cuisines, they are open to to new beers, and thanks to that, for the I would say for the first ten years, um, the craft beer movement was extremely dynamic in Poland. Uh, we started from from zero modern craft breweries in 2010, and now we are more than 300, mm. which is of, of course nothing to compare to to robust uh, uh, craft beer markets like United States or UK or, or some other markets. But but still, it's it's pretty much something within I would say 12, 13 years from zero to 300 small independent breweries. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, yeah, <laughs> but but still, still because of the fact that it's a quite big market, I would say we don't have accurate estimates, but I would say that the craft beer segment is about one one point two percent of the market at the moment. Yeah. So there's a still a long way to go, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get there. Yeah, I think that's good news rather than bad news. It means there's a lot of people out there who are 
ready to be converted and they just haven't found the beer yet so yeah 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 that's also my thinking and uh, i i hope uh well, the last four years have been difficult, right? as yeah, you know. You also have yeah. that. <laughs> Pandemic worldwide and in this corner of the world, uh, the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We are the frontline country, the neighboring country. So, it, yeah, it'll, you know, cost increases, high inflation, stuff like that, that impacted both uh, the brewers and the consumers a lot. So the last four years were difficult, but hopefully at some point it will change for the better and we still got... Uh, a good future I think that's, before us. I think I, I feel that I, I'm confident about that. I, I feel like, yeah, you know, people like good beer. So you have 40 million people. You're going yeah. you're to have more. You're going to sell more good beer. Yeah. Well, you are Marek Kaminsky, and I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate Mark taking the time out. Uh, I kind of dragooned him in a hallway and said, hey, I have a microphone in my bag. Would you mind sitting down with me for half an hour? And he was very gracious and allowed me to do that. And we found a relatively quiet place, although there was a moment where it kind of got a little loud. But Well, as your podcast co-host, uh, I appreciate your efforts. I thought everybody here would appreciate that I just had the pluck to go ahead and, you know, try to drag him into this thing yeah so. and it was fascinating he's a great interview so yeah awesome well we should move on uh, with our limited time we have some mailbag but before we get to the mailbag the whole point of doing a podcast about beer is give us excuse to drink beer so what and I <laughs> what beer this, are we going to drink i brought this damn beer all the way back from europe man oh yeah this has traveled far and so it would be a disrespectful not to drink it that's right and in fact i was uh insta-ing i'm not sure how to I sure. think I think that's I think you can in, I think it's does a verb. Okay. Uh, with okay, I got to look at my. I'm pouring, so I can't look at my notes about how to pronounce. The brewery is called Varionica, maybe. I'm gonna say, uh, and yeah, uh, that's how it, it seems fairly straightforward, but maybe it's got a. But Varianica Craft Brewery. And so this is a Croatian brewery, From and Croatia. uh, uh Matija Mrazic, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Matija, please forgive me. Uh, we are really bad with languages over here in America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he he had brought this from. Croatia, uh, and it was the one. Uh, it, it, it also it was one of the award-winning beers at, uh, beers at their competition, mm-hmm. and it is a kind of a, a pale ale. Although I'm curious about it because it's quite a dark pale ale. So yeah. what does it's, it say? It says pale ale, and then it says a whole bunch of stuff in Croatian. <laughs> Come on, man! Get uh, on it. But but uh, but the very last thing it says in Croatian is this: uh, modern classic. So I'm guessing it's a that's modern a modern classic. classic. All right. <laughs> so I think I think I'm kind of half fluent in Croatian. Uh, it also has won a number of medals in other European beer competitions, including the European Beer Challenge in 2020 in London. Very good. Double gold medal and a gold medal in the Asia Beer Challenge in 2021. Wow. So this is hey, a, me... a well traveled and a well accomplished beer. But you're right. It's not. Um, it's sort of like an old school pale. It's like what we would call a pale in the 1990s in the Northwest with some caramel malt. Okay. Oh, look at you with the modern technology doing the Google Translate. Yeah, but it's with your camera. But it's too tiny, so I can't read it. A beer with a rich taste. Okay. Truly aromatic Confirmed. and amber color. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may be slightly wrong because I have my wrong glasses on for reading. 
was made with a specialty. I don't know. This is a scintillating podcast, right? <laughs> I know. I should have. I should have done this before. Anyway, you're the expert. One, one of the larger, uh, for some reason, the font was larger on, on on three words, which was additional dry hopping. So uh, okay, <laughs> pretty important words to be large. Yeah. So there you go. Additional dry hopping. Google knows what to emphasize. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's it's um, ooh. it's kind of a rich lush, lush pale, but not heavy at all. It's um, I think it actually says ABV like five point two something like that. Yeah, this yeah. is the kind of 5.2. this is the kind of pale ale that would not sell well in America because it's a throwback style. It definitely exactly. has its English roots, and it's really, really well made. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, it's the kind of beer we were talking last week about how sessionable Czech beers are that you just want to drink them forever. Yeah, um, and American brewers imitated that when we were first making our pale ale. So this is has that lineage in it. I would say the only difference between this and a beer that you drink. Uh, in the 1990s in an Oregon pub, it's uh, a lot less heavy. Mm-hmm. And the hops are not abrasive. Yes, uh, and not that, yeah, not that bitter, super bitter. Right. They're they're very, uh, I mean, there was additional dry hopping, so you get that modern quality yeah. of the hopping, which Ooh, is very good. It's really lovely, though. It is. Mm. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's full that. and full and creamy and very nice. I can see why it's won a lot of awards. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the American... The, the the classic American session beer is a pale ale, and I, it always hurts my heart when we get away from the pale ale because having a two or three pale ales down at the pub, man, yeah. that's you can't. It's do coming back. Than that. It's it is. coming back in, in in Oregon at least. I this is the kind of beer you want two or three pints down at the pub. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually what I look for now because I want sort of the flavor profile of a IPA, but I don't want as much alcohol or as heavy. And I'd like to drink two or three beers rather than one. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Nice. For when you're in, when you're celebrating Pub January, you <laughs> want right. to hang out, man. That's right. All right, uh, let's turn to the mailbag because we have to get moving. And let's see the mailbag. One, the first one is on two pages. So let's figure this out. So, maybe this is Margie. Yes, this is Margie back. Okay, Margie Gator uh, from the Bay Area. A regular Quotes, commenter. A regular commenter. Hi, Margie. Uh, Quotes from an San Francisco Chronicle article, quote, a venture capitalist who lives two blocks away, Walsh said he was gutted when Sapporo announced in July that it was closing Anchor, Anchor Brewing, and liquidating its assets. He soon started a website to rally others who were interested in reviving the brewery. Through the website, Walsh received 4,500 emails, including many accounts of fond memories from longtime Anchor fans or employees. He heard from about 200 people who were interested in putting money into the effort, unquote. Her question. So this was the idea uh, in the article was buying the brand. Ah, okay, yeah. So, so this is Anchor Brewing of San Francisco, ancient, one of the old, the old school craft brewers. Uh, her question is: I recall Patrick talking about Pete's Wicked Ale on the pod, and how it was just an office near Stanford. Correct in Palo Alto, yes. I wondered what. You two think of the pros and cons of a local ownership group such as this versus a big brewery purchase of Anchor. Are those our only two choices? They are not. Yeah. So that's why I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> this uh, is our podcast, damn it. As as as, uh, as uh, a law professor at Cornell once said, "Don't fight the hypo," but I'm gonna fight the hypo, um, the hypothetical. <laughs> I so I you. don't like the idea of just Anchor brand 
being shopped around and, and contract brewed wherever, uh, I think that sucks. I think the best part of Anchor Brewing is its brewery in Cal- in San Francisco, and it's been there forever. What? How would you feel? <laughs> You're nodding. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. Actually, I posted on Twitter when all this was happening how important is a physical space to the lineage of a brewery, and I left it open-ended, and most people responded that they didn't think it was all that important uh and my reaction was much like yours however so how would you feel about this you buy the brand uh i mean the 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 big problem with the anchor brewery where it is now is is it's in the middle of san francisco and the it's a pretty big building and a pretty big site and i think it's worth 40 million dollars so what do you feel about if you bought the brand identity and then moved it to a different physical location Uh, how do you feel about that? Because I, 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 I think I would feel okay about that. I don't feel about that at all. So all right. here's the thing about Anchor, like because An- that because that happened with Anchor. I mean, Anchor's moved all around the city. Uh, it's you know it had Has different it? owners. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well then maybe I'm about to say something stupid, but uh, its current location didn't used to be. It was kind of industrial post mission. I don't know what you'd call it uh, exactly, but now they've built the new Warriors Arena nearby, and that sort of revi- There's a the sort of heart of the city spreading. And it's and uh, I've always thought a big part of its future could be as a you know a real tourist brand, and I know people get upset about that, but they're wrong because <laughs> you got to sell what you can sell. And uh, this is like a classic uh, San Francisco brewery that brews a very distinct classic style, and I think they need to get away from just having that as their identity. But I do think that that's that's um, if, if if I had billions of dollars then that's what my vision would be is to create create a place um that could attract uh tourists that would lean into its san francisco heritage uh yeah um so uh getting back to her actual question yes uh (laughs) so i don't like the idea of just the brand living on without the brewery but um because i i don't know why it's a good question it's like in some beers, I don't think I would mind, but in this one, for me, it's so distinct uh, of a time and a place, and it brews a beer that's distinct, that's definitely place-based. So I think the the brewery itself is important. I guess you're right. Moving it to a different part of San Francisco is probably fine, as long as you're able to actually move the brewery because it's beautiful. Um, uh, and whether a big brewery owns it or not, it probably just depends on how they run it. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the whole big rebrand that Sapporo did. I thought it was horrible. Yeah, and you're. Uh, I knew it was. I think your. I think your 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 verdict on that was really borne out. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was dead the moment they did that. Um, so if you know, if a deep pocketed big brewery wants to come in and kind of try and let it flourish as its own little thing in San Francisco and very distinct San Francisco identity, and if they lean into that, I think they could be successful. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I wouldn't mind do. it if the brewery uh, shifted location. That would be fine for me. Um, the, uh, to Margie's point, she asked about a big brewery purchase of Anchor. And I will say uh, it's not impossible for a big brewery to own a classic old brewery and uh, care for its lineage. And, yes. and actually, sometimes that's the only way to save a brewery. Yeah. Uh, and I was just in the Czech Republic. Yeah. And in if you walk around Prague, 
every other pub you see is a Pilsner or Quell pub. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most beloved brands uh, in the world by the locals. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not care that it is owned by Asahi. Right. Um, there's a pub called the Golden Tiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Pilsner pub. When you say Pilsner in, in Prague, you mean a Pilsner or Quell. Yeah. There's only one Pilsner. And it's when you say it's a Pilsner pub, it means a Quell pub. Yeah. And you walk in and they have one beer on tap. And you don't even order. They just come and they plop it down in front of you. Yep. That's what happens. <laughs> and uh, that is real stewardship of an old, important brand. So yeah, and it can of, be done. Yeah, and speaking of going to England, I mean, I always I love going to Fuller's pubs. And mm-hmm. I don't know that Fuller's is now owned by... Is it Asahi too? Or no? I believe Kirin. it is Asahi. Right. Oh, yeah. Kirin. It's a Japanese Japanese, company. yes. It's owned by <laughs> Japanese. And, you know, but for me, the pub experience is the same. The beer tastes the same. I assume they're bringing it in the same ancient way. Um, so, yeah, if that happens, then I'm I'm all for it. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Uh, next one. Next one. Oh, thanks, Margie. This comes from Jason Walker which I, I noted in his bio, whose girlfriend is apparently not a Beer Bonnet Show listener. Oh, that's tragic. This will be, uh, this will be revealed. Why, why <laughs> I know that will be revealed soon. Uh, so this goes way back from to before the before times, when before our hiatus. So okay. you're going to have to dig deep because we were talking about tipping. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. Uh, I've noticed that people who have had to work for tips are generally more generous tippers. That might partly explain the paradox Patrick mentioned, that lower income folks are uh, more generous tippers. Since people who have worked for tips tend to be lower income, that group has a higher percentage of folks who have had to work for tips, and they understand what it means to depend on tips, and as a result, tip better. Okay. This is definitely the case with my father who taught me how to tip. He was always in the bar and restaurant industry, or not always, but for a time. And he felt it was very important, so I I think that's correct. He continues, My girlfriend worked as a server in Texas while she was getting a master's degree. At the time, Texans could pay a low minimum wage, uh, $2.13 an hour, for tipped employees, so she certainly understands what it means to depend on tips. However, she has not been tipping 20% lately and says the reason is that a minimum wage has finally been adjusted up. We spend most of our time in Washington, Oregon, and that demand for workers has also lifted wages. In short, mm. she recognizes that servers today are not as dependent on tips as she was years ago in Texas. Here's the payoff sentence. <laughs> or I guess, it, I guess it could be the effect of her two advanced degrees, master's and juris doctors, since that apparently makes you a crummy tipper. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jason. That was tremendous. All right, I'm going to stick up for her. I'm going to stick up for her because Oregon is one of the few states that doesn't let you discount for tips. In other words, you have to pay the minimum wage even if they get tips on top of that. And so as a result, food, uh, restaurant food here is very expensive. It uh, is 100%. Uh, and so here, the conundrum I always have is, is when I'm not actually being prefer- provided a big service, like I order takeout and I pick it up from the counter. This is going to be your new bugaboo now that the whole, the, the, the whole self-pump thing has come in. <laughs> It's, well, the self, it's, it's when you're serving yourself. You don't want to, you want to tip heavily. I, I mean, I want to tip relative to the service provided. So if, a, if, a, if I'm at a restaurant and someone's been serving me for two hours, then yeah, I'm going to give them a huge tip, right? I mean, that's a lot of work. If, if someone just put my food in a bag and handed it to me across the counter, then, I, then it gets a little more complicated. I, I, uh, not apropos of nothing, but interestingly, in Oregon, the big old chain McMinimans here, some of the, the, old, the old school... Old, OG brewers, OG craft brewers here, 
uh, got in trouble with the. Yes, with, that was a, a piece of news I should have put in here, but but I. It, well, I, let's add it right now. They got right they now. got in trouble for um, forcing servers to share tips, and it's okay to share tips with uh, the back of the restaurant. So so dishwashers, bussers, cooks, but you can't share tips with management. Right. And so this is what they got in trouble for. They were sharing tips with management. And uh, a local pizza chain actually got in trouble with this too, Pizzicato. I think for the same issue. For the yeah. same issue. In yeah. both cases, I think they're like, we thought we were complying with the law because these people aren't like real managers. We give them labels like associate manager, but actually they're and just... They're, and they're not salaried, which was the minimum's reply, which may have been a, an indictment in itself, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, to me, it sort of seems... No, but it was very interesting, this whole sort of idea of tips and how they're being used. In Oregon and probably in other states, but they have this sort of cost of living uh, surcharge they'll put on, yep. which isn't exactly a tip. And then they say, well, then you don't have to tip as much, but it's to help our employees, you know, afford like health care and stuff. Like, well, why don't you just pay them? Like, why is it my responsibility to make sure your employees get health care? Yes. Okay, so we can go on and on. Uh, but in that sense, I, I understand where she's coming from because Oregon does treat its... Uh, hourly workers well in that sense they really do you get in portland you get 15 dollars an hour if you're a right uh, plus staff. plus tips at, 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 at the very least you get 15 dollars. yeah hour. and my so here's my anecdotal which is my uh, uh, a very good friend's son who's also my son's friend that makes sense mm -hmm. that, that, with that logic mm -hmm. uh, who's I'm like right 17 you. years old works at a, a burger chain yes that asks for tips yes and uh almost everybody tips he says and he ends up making about 30 bucks an hour as a teenage burger flipper. Ain't uh, bad money. Ain't bad money. Good for him. <laughs> he's gonna. He's got a lot of money now that he could pay for college. I think he's going to blow it on a big sports car. But, uh, <laughs> but That's the 17-year-old boy's mind right there. But it work. shows, but that anecdote shows me two things. One is how well, like, how well you can get paid in Oregon because they can't discount for tips. And two, just the sort of common tipping uh, culture now that even at the drive-through window at a burger chain, people will actually tip. Yeah, like fifteen, twenty percent. It's amazing. Yeah. So I have one last. I have note no conclusion. On this. Just interesting. We're, we're we're I know we're we're probably running over time, but uh, we're way when over. we were talking about tips, you mentioned that you only tipped a dollar a, a beer, and I felt that that was scrooge scroogely oh, of yeah. you. And I threw it out to the customer, uh, to the listeners, the customers. The customers, uh, the, the punchers. They are their their customers when they when they buy beer. Uh, does that seem cheap or not? And you know what? I got a, I got zero replies to that, which I think means you're okay. I think your one dollar, <laughs> your cheapskate one dollar tipping is okay. And so so this is the difference between a specific tip and an ad valorem tip because my tip hasn't changed over the years. I know in 35 years you've it's been just tipping one dollar, which is it's why like I feel you, like it's you suspect. put you put beer in, 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 in your con. You're right, like it's not adjusted for inflation, but it still just seems like it seems right to me. I bring like, this up to try to. I'm you, trying you fill I'm, a glass. I gave you a buck. I'm trying to whip up a a, a virtual mob to come after you, but I, I think that I think that everyone is on your page here. I think I'm I'm out of step. Yeah, I mean it's beer. Like if it was a cocktail, someone's working mixing me a drink, then that's a little different. But this I mean, is to pour that this beer. Is, this is you know you pour me a beer and. I give you a buck. That seems. I still think that's a that's a that's a honest an honest exchange. 
and the you know the math works out pretty well. What is your your kind of mathy? What is the if it's a seven dollar pint and you give one dollar? Here's the thing. Uh, now with electronic payments, that that could easily change. The 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 one buck thing was just easy, right? You gave me change in cash, and I just you left throw a, a single. I'd there. left. Yeah. I'd leave a dollar. Yeah. Uh, so part of that was just literally functional as as a function of the the money. And if and if there was a you know a quarter or something, I'd leave that too. Sure. So I guess it could be more than a dollar, but. The dollar was the minimum. But now with electronic uh, payments, it's sort of at the end of the day, you pay the bill. And if you've had three beers, then yeah, I probably end up doing something You just do your more. 20%. Do the 20, 15, 20%, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm still curious. I can't believe that nobody bit on that that, that bait. Well, now's there. their chance. I know. They I'm, can, that's why I'm can, throwing it out there they again. They out me as a cheapskate, no good for nothing. Or they can say that I'm completely out of step and what the hell is the matter with me. Yeah. All right, well, we better get wrapping this thing up because we're over time. So a few words going out. I'm going to fast talk. Ready? Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. Please help others, helps us find the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your questions or comments to, now we slow down, at Jeff at Beer Vlana blog. Do send your questions, comments, suggestions. And particularly if you have an idea for a future pod, let us know. Or you can find us on Instagram at Pod. That's basically our social media presence now. Uh, and also where you can contact us. Jeff blogs at Beervana blog. And he tweets at Beervana. We both Instagram at Pod. Okay. We're going to cheers with our lovely, uh, very... Yannicka. Yannicka Pale Ale. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. I wish we knew how to say it in Croatian, but we don't. Salute. What about Hungarian? You must have learned that. It's so long. What about Czech? It's crazy. Nazdravi. Oh, Nazdravi. Okay. Yeah. Nazdravi. There we go. Yeah, Nazdravi. Finally, something. <laughs>